The Athletic. I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show in association with Live Score. Yeah, we've hit the big time now. Oh, we spent the money already on that new theme tune and you know, the executive bathroom for friends of the show. But, you know, easy come, easy go. No, in all seriousness, we are delighted to welcome our new friends at LiveScore. Go check them out on the App Store now. Real-time updates and results and match highlights and breaking news from around the football world. It's completely free, so just search for LiveScore on the App Store. So yeah, there's going to be a few changes around here, a bit of a spruce up, a few fancy new features. But in order to do this properly, you know, really build on this moment, we need your help. You know how to get in touch. Just email imacintosh at theathletic.com and tell me what you want to hear. Do you want more tips? Do you want more competitions? Uh, maybe, um, I'm just throwing it out there, maybe what you really want is book club, you know, back every week. Just an idea, throwing it out there. Anyway, get in touch, imacintosh at theathletic.com and let us know what you want this show to be. It's a big season. Audience numbers are going through the roof. Live score are here to support us and... Well, we better get started and make a show, haven't we? Well, it's here, Football Manager 2022, the full fat non-beater daddy bear dropped Monday night. And that means we can really get stuck into it. You never want to go too deep on a beater, but we are now beyond beater. And who will be your guide as we take our first steps? No, not not me. That's not going to help anyone. No, we've got CJ Ramson back on the show because today, today we're talking tactics. Welcome back to the show, CJ. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Happy to be back as well. Um, happy that release is out and the game's out the door, and yeah, people can enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, has it been a busy week? It's yeah, it's been probably the busiest week of the year, but um, we're used to it now. Kind of enjoy it as well, and it's been quite a good release after last year was quite positive. So yeah, it's been a lot of positive things said, which is nice. Oh, well, that is fantastic. Well, we want to talk tactics today, partly for people who are brand new to all of this, but also for players who've been playing for years and years and years, and, and maybe there's just bits that they've missed or things that, in my case, particularly things that I don't understand fully. Mm-hmm. I discovered something that I've never found before just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I found that you can start not with one of the presets, but with like a completely blank slate, no instructions or anything, just just a rack of players in a shape. And I figured that that's probably a good starting point for the discussion. So we can kind of pull the curtain back a bit and see how it works. So if you start with this with no instructions whatsoever, mm-hmm. What do the players do? I mean, presumably they don't just stand very, very still. <laughs> nah, they won't, they won't just stand waiting on command. But if you remember before we had the tactical styles and the presets, that's how you always went into your tactics. So whenever you first went to your tactics, it would be how it looks on the blank slate, where nothing would be selected, nothing will be ready-made for you. It mainly goes off the player roles with no team instructions. So the player roles will still try to play to their roles, but there'll be, you could say, less direction. You might not see 
you might not see the short passing style that you want. You might not see the inside forward playing like inside forwards if they're not set to play like that. So um, that's why we always have a balance of team instructions and player roles. But it's a popular one for people. We even got the numbers back and there is a percentage of people that do like to use the blank slate and kind of trust in their own tactics, bring out their own style if their one of their style doesn't fit to the presets. It's always a bit dangerous, isn't it? I remember it from the days of sort of FM 2007 you had the tactical sliders and you just sort of had to kind of hope that you were getting it right first time but with with the player roles every player has his has his own specific instructions and then their ability to carry that out that's sort of dependent on teamwork and then their individual abilities isn't it yeah so you can play a player who's maybe got the best tactical or technical stats, sorry, but doesn't have the best mental stats and he might not be able to deliver the instructions as good as a player with less technical ability but much better mental attributes, for instance. And it's the same with the team instructions. You want your team to kind of buy into your instructions so the players that have the lower mental stats and maybe lower concentration, they're less likely to adhere to the tactical instructions that you have. Right, mental stats, very important. Also very important are player traits because I've found this out through bitter experience. You can tell everyone to pass it short, but if you've got a player whose trait is to uh, play great big sweeping passes, he's going to do it, isn't he? Oh, yeah, especially if you've got him in a kind of deep line playmaker role or ball playing centre-back even, and he's in a position where he has time and space on the ball, then it's something that you see quite often. One of the features that I do like in recent years is trying to make players unlearn traits. I mean, they don't always agree to unlearn the trait, but it's uh, one that I have done on occasion if it doesn't really suit my style. When we move off from this blank slate, what would you say the most important thing to work on is? Is it mentality? Yeah, that's always a good place to start. I mean, even the tactical styles themselves, they're all set with a kind of mentality as a guide. So you've got your counter-attacking styles to play in counter. You have your defensive ones and of course you have your more control or balanced ones as well that you kind of want to retain possession with. But I feel the main part of building the tactic is knowing what you want from it. So if you're setting up a deep line tactic with a deeper line and you want to kind of counter the other team, then you don't want to go in with an attacking mentality. Otherwise it would just not all be in sync. No, I've I've found that particularly as well in the late stages of games when you're just going for broke, that having it on very attacking, that can be quite dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you see it in real life as well so often where um, teams will maybe be 2-1 down or even 3-1 down and they'll really throw everybody forward and you could say they're on very attacking, for instance, and then that opens up the gaps at the back and opens them up to the counter-attack. But at the same time, I went on very attacking at 2-2. in the last 10 minutes of a game when I was playing recently the other day and I ended up getting a 90 second minute winner so it does pay off sometimes but I've been on the other side of it as well where you get countered and you're open at the back too. One of the things I've found with this new version and I've mostly played under 18 and under 23 games because I go really really (laughs) slowly but there's a lot to be said for whacking it up to attacking in the closing stages when the other team is considerably more tired than you, isn't there? Oh, of course. And you have to remember the um, opposition managers, they're changing mentality too. So they might be on defensive at that point. So if you're still on balance and they're on defensive, you might be finding it harder to break them down or your players might not be taking the risks or making the runs to really create these goal-scoring chances. So I'm more of a mentality shifter than a 
team instruction shifter. There's no right way to do it. Both can work for you. But I like to kind of keep the same team instructions and shift the mentality around rather than shift my own team instructions around. One of the things that this podcast taught me last year was that when you put them on defensive, it doesn't mean they're just not going to try and score. Oh, no. One of the things I love to do, so if you're playing European games, that second leg of Champions League, for instance, if I have a lead I want to protect, I'll go full Alfletico and just set up a defensive tactic, start the game with defensive and just try and see it out. And you can get goals in the counter-attack as well. I mean, your mentality is defensive, but of course, if you put some roles in there, you have some attacking duties on some of your roles as well to make your players really try to break the lines and run forward out of that defensive block. You can set up a really good counter-attacking system. Yeah, I've absolutely won games 3-0 when I've been defensive for the entire game. And it's generally been the only three chances I've had yeah. because they've just overcommitted people forward in the in the closing stages. So one thing that people do miss occasionally, up the top of the tactics screen is a familiarity bar. How much effect does that have on your performance? It doesn't absolutely change everything so you can obviously still win games with low familiarity lose games with high familiarity but it does make a difference especially when you're using more complicated tactics by complicated I mean like lots of team instructions and lots of different kind of ideas for your player to execute on the pitch it's something that you have to pay attention to over the season at the beginning of the season of course you're less likely to have a higher familiarity so it's something that you have to really kind of think about as you're going through the season, one thing that I feel a lot of people overlook, I used to overlook this myself, is making sure you set your tactic on the first day and sticking with that through pre-season. So once the season comes around, you have at least some familiarity going into the season. Because what one thing I used to always do is, oh, I'll do the tactic for now and then go make my sign-ins and then a few days before the first game, let me actually make my proper tactic. And then if you think <laughs> about it, you've, your players only have three days to work with the system. So um, it's something that you really have to kind of take time with, have a bit of patience, especially with things like pressing. That's probably one of the biggest things. You can't kind of learn to gegenpress press in one preseason. It will take a couple months in game. It penalises quick changes, doesn't it? Like if I'm working on four four two wing play, all the way through pre-season, all the way through the opening months, getting really good and really familiar. And then one day, halfway through a match, I suddenly decide to play with a back three. My players, they're going to struggle a bit, yeah? Yeah, one thing that I like to do, this isn't kind of like a hacker or anything, it's just my own personal preference, is I'll always have a back three tactic because you can set three different tactics and whichever one set as your primary one is the one that I guess they'll learn the most. But I'll always have a back three tactic in there just in case at any point in the season I decide to switch to a back three or back five. And I'll always have one on counter as well. So when I do have to go into games, maybe against the bigger teams and I want to play on the counter or I want to play defensive, my team have some idea about how how to play with that mentality and style. That's interesting. I'm, I, I go for, have you ever been on the Norfolk Broads, on a boat on the Norfolk Broads? Never. Oh, whoa, what a holiday it is. <laughs> I tell you what, let's keep talking it up and maybe we'll get a free one. It'll be great. We'll just play football manager all the time. If, if you're on a boat on the Norfolk Broads, the controls are very, very simple. You've got a wheel and you've got a stick. You push forward and uh, you go faster and then gradually you pull it back and you go slower. And that's how I always see my tactics. I have my three options and in the middle is a sort of standard balanced 
kind of four three three, and then I have the one pushing the stick forward where it's you know it's the same shape, it's the same player instructions, but they're further up the pitch. The tempo goes up and it switches to attacking, and then I have another one which is a stick all the way back where it's the same shape, the same player instructions, and they're time wasting and it's on defensive, and then that's basically how I get through games. Like I'm like I'm driving my boat down the Norfolk Broads looking for a nice pub with a big beer garden. <laughs> Does that work? I haven't got far enough through this game to know if it works or not yeah for sure um firstly i love that metaphor and um yeah no it definitely works i'd say that's probably the best way to do it because you get the most range and the most balance it's either kind of do it that way and have three different very like not very different styles but three different styles for like kind of different mentalities or different ways to play or you can say if you have a 4-3-3 on balance your second tactic could be a 4-3-3 same formation same team instructions but maybe on counter maybe a few tweaks in the roles to make it a bit more defensive or sometimes I like to, if I'm playing with a 4-3-3 which is usually my um, go-to tactic just because I love the 4-3-3 in real life I'd have a 4-2-3-1. So in-game, if I want to move my DM to a, a attacking midfielder to kind of go for a goal or something like that, um, my team's kind of really set up with the way to play like that. Or if I just want to kind of switch it up for a cup game or a game where I'm the favourite, I can just easily change my tactic without kind of switching too many personnel. One of the biggest bits of conversation around this new game has been about the Gagan Press. One thing that we've established is you can still use it. It's still really good. Mm-hmm. But you have to treat it with respect. You've got to have a good fitness coach. You've got to do a good preseason. You need the players with the work rate and the stamina and the teamwork. There are more things that can go wrong with it. But as you go down the levels, and I particularly notice it, uh, this at youth level, you, you can get very, very heavily penalised for this. So if for the people who would usually pick that sort of gag and press or counter-attacking style, what's a good sort of backup? What's a completely different ideology well your points on gagan press was um completely correct as well which i do like to say i'm glad it's kind of having those effects another one that i feel gets overlooked often is the control possession tactic and obviously with the presets as well you can kind of tweak them to suit your team the absolute first version of them that you that you select might not perfectly suit your team maybe in the roles maybe in one or two team instructions but um either kind of go and control possession and trying to could that still they still press high but maybe not as high as gagan press so you can still get your press in you can still try to win the ball back but it's a bit more kind of refined in terms of keeping the ball or could go the other way with one of the fluid counter-attack systems um that's one that i like to use if i'm kind of going up against a big team because it still has shorter passing so it doesn't deviate from my main tactic too much but it's kind of set up to stay behind the ball and counter-attack and pick your moments. Um, especially if I'm using a team that's not the one of the biggest teams in the division, maybe middle-of-the-road kind of team. It's a, it's a nice one to go with. And of course, one thing that we keep coming back to on this show is you've got to look at the players you've got and then decide what to do with them. And some of the less glamorous tactics can do really well. I did particularly well with Route 1 uh, with a Scottish second division team last year because I had a big lad up front. So just aim for the big lad. I'm glad to hear that. I don't really hear much about people using Route 1. It kind of looks and sounds less glamorous than it is. I did have a friend that played a full season with Barcelona playing Route 1. He didn't win the league, by the way. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> so one thing we get asked a lot, particularly by people who are at clubs who haven't got a great deal of spending money, uh, they want to retrain players. How long, generally, does it take to retrain a player from like a winger to a wing back? 
So it usually depends on what their kind of understanding of the role is at first. So if they're competent at the role to start off with, it will be quicker. I think adaptability comes into it as well. That might be a hidden attribute, but there's something that will make a player know how to pick up roles quicker. I'm sure you can get feedback from your staff about that. But training a right back to a right wing back when he has a competent understanding of wing back will be easier than kind of training a striker to a centre back that has kind of no idea how to play the position. And actually playing the player in that role will help as well. So at the moment, I've got a right back that I'm trying to retrain to left back just so I have more cover. So I play him at left back, even though he doesn't have the great understanding, it will help the overall process. Can you give him that playing experience in the under 23s? Will that have the same effect? I think it has less of an effect than the first team, but it definitely does have some effect. Um, Utilising your under 23s, I know you do, but yeah, it's, it's so oh, important. Yeah. I know it's so important, even kind of just to get match sharpness and get players back from injury. Yeah, it's really important. No, totally. That that's a big thing that we'll be looking into that in future episodes. But there you go. If you've got formation and you haven't quite got all of the players required, remember that you can retrain them and get them in. CJ Ramson, thank you so much for joining us. If you're a subscriber to the Athletic, you'll find a feature very soon that expands on all of that. I just need to, you know, actually write the thing. But no, we got loads of stuff over on The Athletic, looking at every aspect of the game. And if you don't want to miss it, if you're a subscriber, just hit the button marked follow on the app. It's near a, a lovely little games controller icon. You can't miss it. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, then what the hell are you playing at? It's brilliant. But you know it's brilliant because I talk about it every week. Go to www. Does anyone still say that? Probably not. Probably just me. I'm very old. Theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. Theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. Get a very special deal there. It's more than a score. It's life score. All right. <laughs> Don't worry. We're just working on that jingle. This deal's really fresh. We didn't have time to book any talent. I mean, ink's still wet on the contract. So what is this? Well, well, you know how with live score, you get scores from around the world. They're, they're not just empty numbers. They're real teams with real stories. And there's no better way of exploring these stories than by playing football manager. So, you know, basically we're talking about exciting and exotic new save locations. And where in the world is more exciting and exotic than Aberdeen, Mr. JJ Bull. Exactly. It's the best. It really is. I tell you, there's a lot of money sloshing around in Aberdeen, isn't there? Well, there was. There was there's a, it's a very complicated issue. I mean, there's, it's the oil capital of Europe, for one thing. It's a lovely place. Either you work in oil, you work for Brewdog, or that's kind of it. But there was an oil crash <laughs> a while ago. Not to bring down you know, everyone's mood, but there was oh, you know, yeah. affected the house prices. Some people were out of jobs. A sad time. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah, but there's still oil, oh. so everyone's... Still good. <laughs> well, that's great news. The perfect thing to follow COP26. Look, Aberdeen feels like a, an odd place to start. You know, we've got the whole of the world to choose from and we've pretty much just gone up the motorway. But there is method in this madness and I am sort of abusing my position because Aberdeen is my chosen personal save of FM22 and I've got a plan of how I'm going to go about it and, and I need your help. Um, it, it's an Arrigo Saki plan. You, you might have heard the book review last week. If you didn't, go back and give last week's episode to listen it's a really good one even if i do say so myself i want to make aberdeen into like the ac milan of, of northern europe through the medium of pressing fitness coaches and offside traps jj bull you're a lifelong aberdeen fan is there a realistic chance of me taking them back to where they were under alex ferguson well 
I always wanted to be good with Aberdeen at FM and about three games ago I've won the Champions League three times in one save. What? So it is it is possible. Oh my god. Yeah. Me me and my friend Adam, both of you listen to this podcast actually, have both done it. It's really difficult to do. But um the key to it is signing lots of kids from Colombia because <laughs> momentum's so key in the game. Like, you know when you, you do the thing where you either um you search for players between the age of fifteen and nineteen and you order them by value. Because you're scouting like you can't attract the bigger players, no matter how big you get really with Aberdeen. But you can get all the the wonder kids that come through from South America and stuff. And you get them in young. And because you can play them and they can fit in the Scottish Premiership level, they get they they never reach their full potential, but they um uh, grow really quickly and because your team always has momentum because you're winning everything all the time when you get to that point they become really good and that's what gives you the chance to be able to win Champions League well this is the thing I, I had a Celtic game a few years ago and um, once you get to the top because of the inequities of Scottish football it's very very difficult to get knocked off so really it's just a case of getting up there and then you know you do what so many Dutch and Belgian teams have done for so long as you say you scout properly you build up players you sell them for a profit and you, you pick up new ones but for anyone who wants to do this as well, what awaits me in Aberdeen? Are, are there decent players there? Are there any surprises? There are some good players. Aberdeen um, have been the second or third best team in Scotland for a long time now. When Rangers get uh, chucked down to the lower divisions, uh, now they're back up, obviously, they're the best team. Celtic are, and the budget that Celtic and Rangers have is massive. But in Aberdeen, the players you can look for, I mean, Scott Brown is um, still a good player. He's not got any pace anymore, but he's got really good mental attributes, leadership, determination, stuff like that. Lewis Ferguson could easily play in the English Premier League, easily. Ryan Hedges is a solid player who's been linked, I think, with Blackburn quite a lot and could very well end up in the championship soon. And he'd be an upper table uh, championship player. He's a very good player. Christian Ramirez is uh, decent for the Premiership. Marley Watkins is all right. In real life, he's quite good, but I don't think he's got very good stats. I'm not sure how he works. Ross McCrory, though, is a really good player and um, is another one you can sort of build around. And the goalkeeper is quite solid too. Maybe that, one of the first things you do, actually, is sort of the defence out, maybe. Well, that, that feels like a good base. What about underneath? Because uh, you don't have under-23s and under-18s in Scotland, do you? You just have the one youth side. Is there anything good lurking in that? Well, there's some players that have broken through. So actually, I've, I've, I can't believe I've forgotten about it. Calvin Ramsey is the right-back who's just broke through from the youth team and is being watched by clubs like Man United and Everton, apparently. But he's really, really good. Ball-playing, like, really good at set-pieces. He's got good attributes, actually, in the game. He looks like quite a decent player. So he's just come through the youth academy. Jack McKenzie's just broken in as a young left back. He's decent. Uh, a lot of the youth talent that is there have sort of not made it. So there was for the last couple of years, there's been a few players you could bring into the team. There's a couple of the Ross brothers that you could put in and they'd be quite decent. But the good young ones are already so good they're in the first team. So I don't actually know there's anything hidden in the youth system that would be worth putting through. I'm going to say no. No. <laughs> Behind the scenes, finally, you know, if, if it's not enough just to try and make this team win games, uh, what does the club need in terms of infrastructure? Uh, well, it's just in real life, just got a new training ground built. Very fancy. So that's good. The stadium in real life was falling apart. They were meant to move to a different stadium and there were plans built up to move outside out of the city. But they seem to be cancelled again in real life. And um, they're going to try and build a new stadium down near where the current one is. So if you get to the point where you've got some money, I would start investing as soon as you can in the stadium, like expand it or something like that, because you can get more people in. If you wait out until you do something good, like win the Champions League, and you build a new stadium, chances are you'll get it named after you. Because I've had that happen to me. 
I've had it. <laughs> That's got to be yeah. the dream, isn't it? And, you know, Scotland's a really fun place to start. Most of the teams skip pre-season and they, they pretty much go straight into a summer tournament. And if you've got an old laptop, because there's only 40 clubs, it's a really small player pool. So if you just lock it off and just play a self-contained Scottish game, it, it won't kill your laptop like some of them will. JJ Bull, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So that's Aberdeen in Scotland. Next week, we'll be going a little further afield on... <clears throat> it's more than a score, it's life score. Yeah, I think we'll go with that one. That was It's More Than a Score with Life Score. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store now. I'll trade you this baseball for your souvenir bet. Sure. <laughs> what did you learn? Excellent. We'll almost certainly not get sued for using that sample. So what did you learn? First episode of this feature. And this is basically for the people who have just fired off on FM22, uh, surging into the future. There are visionaries, our pathfinders, and uh, they can report back if, if you're like me and you play very slow or you've just started playing to tell us what they picked up. And we're joined today by Amitai Winehouse. He's the news editor here at The Athletic and a Leeds United fan. Amitai, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, you, you, when the beta dropped, you set up your Leeds game and you just went woof into the future, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I play it quite quickly. I often sort of watch you across the office playing football manager, seeing how stressed you get and think, yeah, maybe I should take a bit more time because Ian's currently six hours deep into planning his set pieces on his Newcastle save. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I've burned through the first sort of season of the game. It does sort of worry me because you, you did very well in the first season, didn't you? Yeah, and I think that is sort of part of what I've learned from this new one is I think I might be wrong in saying this but I feel as though quite a few players at Leeds are a little bit of a cheat code in the new game oh really yeah there's two things so first of all that, that so if you have a look through the Leeds squad I don't think there are many players without an 18 work rate and ridiculous stamina so in the first season I've been playing you know a, a Gagan pressing style and Stuart Dallas is phenomenal Click is phenomenal Phillips is phenomenal I ended up finishing fourth and like quite comfortably as well so there's clearly something in the fact that actually I think they're a bit overpowered, which is I just think is really interesting. I think there's a reason why like quite a few at the start of the game, every club was interested in like every one of my players, essentially. This is really interesting because we had four of the biggest YouTubers on the show last week, uh, Lelujo and Zealand and, and those guys. They're doing a big network game and they've got four teams that they're drawing out of a hat to decide who they're going to be. And one of them is Leeds. And uh, I think it was it was either Jack or Benji who said, whoever gets Leeds has got a big advantage. And you're saying there's, there's a lot of truth in that. What, what kind of gig and press are you playing? What formation? So I play a 4-3-3 with a defensive midfielder uh, and two inverted wingers. Well, an inverted winger on the right, which is Rafinha, uh, who, by the way, is is terrible as if he's asked to um, play an attack role, but like absolutely brilliant if he plays a support role. It's really weird. And then an inside forward on the left. I think Dan James played the majority of the games in my first season, but Somerville, one of the kids, his stats aren't very good, but he scored quite a few goals for me. So he was a useful rotational player because if you do end up managing Leeds, they don't have loads of money to spend in the first summer. I think it's about £10 million. 
but he was quite a useful squad member. But yeah, very much a 4-3-3, wing-back set to support, ball-playing defenders, deep-line playmaker, ball-winning midfielder, box-to-box midfielder, and a, a pressing forward up front, basically. And did you spend any of that money? Did you bring anyone in? I decided I wanted to, for some reason... I had a look through the transfer list of players and decided that Nemanja Matic was the solution to all of my problems because I thought they need another body in midfield. And he was actually quite useful for about four months. But I also signed, I think he's called Maximovic, who's another defensive midfielder but can also play slightly further forward. And he ended up taking over as the first choice defensive midfielder. And he's been essentially pretty useful throughout the time I've been playing. And where did you find him? Uh, one of my scouts flagged him up to me. I, I, I think he's. I think he plays in Italy. I feel like he might be at Sampdoria, but I'm sure someone will tell me that's completely wrong. But basically, <laughs> I, he was he was affordable and very useful. Essentially, three star, just very solid. Basically. So going into the second season, how did you do in the first season? You did well, but how well? I see, yeah, I came fourth, got to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Bloody hell. I only dropped out of that because against Newcastle, I played a weakened team just because there were more important games coming up. And I felt really bad. It felt like a betrayal of like the fact that I'm a massive lover of the FA Cup for some reason. Actually, I think I went out quite early in the Carabao. But yeah, it was a good season. I actually, the second season is what I wanted to talk about as much as anything is that I didn't anticipate this, but because of the World Cup being mid-season, the season starts very early and the early fixture list is very interesting as well. Did you alter the way that you set up for this? No, so I, I'm still playing Gagan Pressing, but last night I had a couple of hours sort of free. I'd already played the first game of the season, which I won, and then I lost the second game of the season to Liverpool, uh, who suddenly had Mbappé on the wing, which was a bit of a nightmare. I played, I think, four games last night. And and the issue with the second season is that the season starts towards the end of July rather than August, which completely threw me. And for the first, I want to say, six weeks of the season, there are like at least three game weeks where it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for games so it's a bit like managing in the championship and obviously if you're playing a high pressing style that's like like a real shock so actually I think if I could go back and think about it first of all I'd, I'd make sure to sort of take note of what the schedule's like which is one of those things that when you're burning through when you've got two hours to play it you don't do necessarily I think the other thing is that I would maybe plot out my rotation a bit better because in the first season I was doing it quite well but it was still you know I had seven days between games, so I could swap this player and that player, but actually it was mainly just like papering over the cracks. Whereas last night when I was playing it, I was in a situation where I would play the game on on the Saturday, not realising that I had Man U on the Tuesday, and suddenly I had my first choice and second, first choice left back, first choice right back, um, and one of my first choice centre mids were on red and just couldn't start. Now, my results haven't been bad. I've drawn those four games, but there is definitely like, I could have done better if I'd have planned a bit better ahead. And I think that's something that I would sort of recommend to everyone is really do take note of the fact that the second season's a bit strange at the start. Like it's definitely worth thinking about. Well, there we go. That's a perfect place to start with this feature. Leeds United, uh, second season woes and, uh, and and the importance of rotation. And I'm, I'm seeing it already in my Newcastle game. I'm only in September and having a cup game in midweek and a league game on, on Saturday, it, it has a clear deleterious effect. So heaven only knows what's going to happen when the Champions League gets started. Amitai Winehouse, news editor at The Athletic, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. 
Uh, loads of new features, but one that's always going to stick around. It's time for your letters. You can get in touch. I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter. Uh, that's Ian underscore games and Ian with two eyes. Uh, producer Steve, is that you or is that you and your kid? <laughs> no, no, that is Gizmo. He's very, he wanted to be around for the glory hunter, of course, that he is. He wanted to be around for the new launch, etc. Ignored us for many, many weeks, but then there we are now. Well, absolutely. All right, Steve, Gizmo, let's do some letters. What have we got? Okay, so first up is Alec Bateman, and he writes in to say, I started a self-end safe. I wonder whose influence is that, Ian? <laughs> yeah, I know. Brave man. Um, well, if you keep on talking about it, people are going to do it, you know, because um, they're suckers for punishment, the people who listen to this podcast, uh, and, and make it. <laughs> so yeah, he started a self-end safe today, yet when I looked at the squad, it was missing our recent loanees from Sheffield United, Zach Brunt and Katzbert Wapata. Well said. Thank you very much. So... Do you know why this would be? I would have thought the squads would have been fully updated for today's release. Basically, there's there's a thing that they call internally the data lock because you don't want to be messing around with the data while you're trying to get the game ready for release. So sometime before, I can uh, the, the date varies, but there is basically a point where very few transfers are added. I would imagine that big things like Conte at Tottenham you know, kind of supersede this. I, I don't think Southend United necessarily have the clout <laughs> to, uh, to to breach to breach all of that. But you know what? Because uh, Alec is doing a particularly difficult game with what is arguably pound for pound the world's worst football club. <laughs> there is an editor available and I don't think it would be considered cheating to bound into the editor and just make those alterations. So, uh, I mean, good luck. I, I really hope it all works out, but I, I, I don't, I fear for him. I fear, fear for Alex's sanity over the next month. Who else have we got? So, uh, Will has got in touch to us, has got in touch with us on Twitter and he, he's at WillCPFC03 and he asks, how do you, Ian, organise training? I usually find I'm hopeless at it and the staff usually do it far better so I just let them get on with it but what do you do? Yeah, the staff do it really well as long as everything's lined up like everything else in this bastard game. Um, make sure that the thing you want them to be training is the same as your primary tactic. If your primary tactic is, say, tiki-taka, and then you're going to do lots of technical work on the ball. You don't need to, whatever Gizmo's saying back there, you don't need to do too much stuff. Um, you just need to focus on, on the basics. What I tend to do is if I've got a game coming up against a team that's much, much better than me, I'll go to the calendar section, alter the, the sort of theme of the training and, and get them to do a week of defensive work. If I've got games coming up where, like against Norwich on my Newcastle save, I could see they were all quite short then I'll whack in some extra set piece training and just do bits and bobs but generally speaking I won't make more than sort of 20% of alterations to whatever the coaches recommend as always with this game the coaches you can literally see their stats if you've got bad coaches they might not necessarily do the right thing so get a good coaching team behind you and you can't go too far wrong Perfect. And also stuff like um, so team bonding and, and training, things like that, that aren't necessarily physical in inverted commas. Do they add to the sort of wider workload as well? Or can you just, if you, you're concerned about the morale in the squad, can you just add those in 
without worrying too much about the players being tired. Yeah, the best thing about team bonding is the effect it has on team cohesion. The more cohesion you've got in the team, the more it's kind of like playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. You get little bonuses dotted around for various things. If your cohesion's high, your movement and positioning will be much, much better. And it's it's not only that. A lot of that depends on you know players having been at the club for a long time, playing the same sort of tactics for a long time. That all boosts it. But particularly in pre-season, team bonding is brilliant for that. Great. Well, thanks for that uh, question, Will, and I hope that answered it. So next up is Brian Cook, and he writes in to say, Hi, Ian and producer Steve. First of all, I adore the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Brian. That's very kind of you to say. And for this email, I wanted to get some advice. Since beginning this wonderfully frustrating game, I've not won a Champions League or a Europa League. I've had plenty of chances with Standard Liège in Belgium and Tottenham in the following season, but I've never quite made it. I badly want FM22 to be the first game where I win one title. Do you guys have any advice on how to do that? And additionally, if I accomplish my goal, would you accept an invitation to ride on my open-top bus through whichever city I'm in when I win? So first of all, advice in terms of trying to help Brian over the line with European competitions. Yeah, so the the best advice I've seen on this question was Alex Stewart. Because basically, if you're in contention, then you're already a strong team. Alex Stewart's view is that you should focus on the weakest part of the team. Sometimes you can end up spending all of your resources making a sort of marginal improvement in your striker or your attacking midfielder. Um, and overlook the fact that actually your left back's crap or your goalkeeper's way below the standard of anyone else. Um, so that's one good thing. For me, I mean, it always comes down to literally the marginal gains. Make sure that you've got set pieces set up that are actually doing you good. If you're using a big striker, get him back for defensive corners just to find those little moments where you could turn draws into wins or stop draws becoming defeats. That's a good one too. And the other thing is just just take your time. A lot of times, once you get deep into the game, you can start riding that continue button and start rushing it. Don't do that. Remember what got you there in the first place. Just being methodical, making your team better year on year and make sure, particularly on this version of the game where fatigue is such an issue, make sure you've got squad depth. Keep an eye on your your youngsters. Are there any good players in your youth team who can come in and sort of help out and fill gaps particularly at the end of the game hopefully a combination of that will take you there I think also additionally because they're cup competitions aren't they really in the knockout stages the Champions League and Europa League are there any I mean I think you know what I'm going to say but there are any sort of darker tactics that might be handy when you're in a (laughs) well I mean the the spithousery spithousery is always a good thing. Maybe if you've got one tactic that you generally use for all of your games, make sure you've got a backup evil tactic to shut things down in the last 10 minutes. Drop back into position. Don't press anymore. Waste time. Have things like that. Because it's, as you say, it's a cup competition. All sorts of things can happen. You can't legislate for it, but you can take preventative measures here and there. And if you are going to do that, also pay attention to to the player roles as well. You'd be unsurprised, I'd imagine, after listening to this podcast for so long. But there are people who will have sort of you know advanced playmakers and central midfield attackers when they've just built a completely defensive formation everything links to everything make sure everything's aligned and so brian's follow-up i suppose the question would be then Ian, where would you which city in europe would you want to uh, attend a celebration for oh god that's a good idea uh germany's good for drinking so uh, <laughs> uh berlin's got all the nightclubs so we, we we could go for a bit of that 
That's nice. That's nice. I personally would, far be it for me to tell you what to do, Brian, but if you were to manage Athletic Bilbao, traditionally, and it's a good, good few decades now since this has happened, but Athletic Bilbao celebrate the winning of titles on a barge that goes down the estuary of Bilbao. Nice. So it's not quite a bus, but I think it's, if anything, it's better. Yeah. Well, mind you, given the number of times you see footage of teams dropping the trophy off the bus... <laughs> A high-risk strategy. Uh, who else have we got there? So, Fozzy33, they have written in to say, what's the absolute number one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting in the lower leagues or with a semi-professional team? I'll give you two. Focus more on physical stats than you would ordinarily because if you can find someone really quick or someone really strong, that can make an awful lot of difference at that level. The other one, I think I mentioned it here before, pay attention to your own coaching attributes. At that level, you won't be able to afford many coaches and the ones you'll be able to get won't be very good. So when you set yourself up, set yourself up with some ability. If you're going to be Gagan Press in the lower leagues, then give yourself loads of fitness coaching stats or however you've decided to set your player up. Make sure they've got more fitness than anything else because you'll be the coach that you can't possibly afford to hire. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, final one is from Kiko, and they ask, what's the best DM role to combine with the inverted fullback? So obviously we had the pleasure of CJ Rampson on the show earlier, and we thought whilst we had him on, we would ask him this as well. So here's what CJ said on that one. There isn't one specific role that works for the inverted wingback. A lot of it depends on what you have going on around them. So you can use a halfback and kind of have them drop in. So the inverted wingback plays in defensive and will sit in that space. Or if you kind of wanted to have your inverted wing back on support or attack duty then just play him with a normal defensive midfielder or even a deep line playmaker to kind of pick the passes and play through the lines to the um central areas that the wing back's going to pick up that can work too so a lot of it depends on one the duty you have on your inverted wing back if you're playing defensive and then you don't want to congest that space too much you kind of want your defensive midfielder to kind of vacate that space almost unless you want to kind of double up or if you're playing with one on support or attack then having just any any of the defensive midfield roles really they're all pretty defensive but I'd probably go with literally just a DM defensive midfielder or a deep line playmaker and that is your letters if you want to get in touch get in touch imacintosh at theathletic.com find me on twitter ian underscore games Holly Percival of The Athletic, what else do you play? Valorant is a new game to the FPS scene. If you're a fan of Counter-Strike Global Offensive, then Valorant is definitely up your street. It is a 5v5 tactical FPS game and within it you can pick one of 16 agents to play. Each has its own special abilities. You have a defending side and an attacking side and you go against each other to either protect two or three bomb sites or to try and plant and ultimately blow up one of the two or three sites. The great thing about Valorant being so new is they are constantly bringing out new maps and new characters. So currently there are seven maps that you can play on and there is an attack side and a defense side that you start out and you kind of set up before the round starts and get prepared for battle. If you win, you get rewarded with more money, which means you can buy better guns, which puts you in better stead for each round. If you lose, you are essentially poor and struggle to buy better guns and therefore have a bit more of a hard task at winning the round. So it favours those who work as a team and it kind of doesn't allow much wiggle room for those who can't shoot a gun, really. 
My favourite map, hands down, has to be Haven. It has three bomb sites as well, so it's definitely quite a chaotic one. My favourite gun right now would definitely be the Vandal. It's very rewarding when you get a one-shot headshot on people. Um, if you try the game out, you'll very quickly understand what I mean when I say that. My favourite character right now would be Brimstone. He throws a lot of smokes around and helps control a site, which is really rewarding. It's really nice that you can kind of figure out what playstyle you like within the agents. Some are very attacking and like fighting heavy. Some are very more slow paced and help protect a bomb site or help you protect the bomb which you have planted and need to see out a very late round win. So it's very fun. It's free to play by Riot Games. It was released in June 2020. I say it's free to play. You can buy some really lovely skins on there and it will 1000% improve your gameplay, which is what I tell myself when I don't play well. It's the first of 13 rounds. It is highly addictive and frustrating and fun all in one foul swoop. I think the most satisfying thing is, is when you're the last one left and you have to take on two or three players. And if you're able to clutch up the round, again, as the cool kids call it, it's very satisfying because you've won that round for your team specifically and you've fought off two or three people. The other satisfying thing is each agent has its own special abilities. And when you use one of those abilities to kind of help you win a round or, or get a really important kill, that is also a pretty satisfying feeling. That's Holly Percival from The Athletic. You want more of Holly? She actually streams these games on Twitch on Holly Plays, and that's Holly with two Ys and Plays with two Ys. You can also hear her on The Athletic's Aston Villa podcast, The 1874, so check that one out as well. And that was the Football Manager Show in association with LiveScore. We are so big time. Your guests were CJ Ramson from Sports Interactive, JJ Bull off the TIFO, Amatai Winehouse and Holly Percival from The Athletic. Your producer was Steve Hankey and I am Ian Live Scorintosh. That's part of the deal. The Athletic.